Hi, this is Peter Francho, your state comptroller in Maryland. You're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with my co-host, Michael Sanderson. Michael, how are you today? I'm okay, Kevin. You? I'm doing well. Today on the podcast, we will talk about the Kerwin Commission wrapping up their work for 2018. We're also starting to see some of the local priorities for education funding rolling in. And then we will talk about what's going on here in Annapolis, recap the week in the General Assembly. So, Michael, let's jump right in. The Kerwin Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education held their final sort of meeting last week, last Friday. You were there. Let's talk about what happened and what was adopted. It just feels like it doesn't feel right being before the microphone and doing the podcast without talking about Kerwin. Maybe we can maybe we can shake it next week, but we we, we need to talk about it here. Huh? So so this was the final meeting where the commission really adopted its substantive recommendations and it actually was a little surprising, I think, because in December there was this sort of record scratch moment when the presiding officers seemed to be saying, let's delay some of the fiscal matters for a year because it'd be too much for the General Assembly to absorb and probably too much for the commission to really complete all this stuff. Right. So we were preparing for the January 18th meeting to sort of be tie up loose ends and then game plan for the third year. Uh, that turned out to be more complicated than we had we had realized. There's an awful lot of substantive policy that's going to be in the recommendations that'll be in this January report. And the question is, though, so you have recommendations in the report. We do expect to see legislation this year, and I guess where the rubber meets the road is what's going to be in that legislation. Yeah, I think so. I mean I- – the easy thing to look at is just a year ago, we had the not commission, which was looking at school construction, right. sort of the, the other side of, of the, of school financing. And they were looking at a variety of you know, different ways you can go about building schools and, and changing some process things and talking about funding levels. But there were a bunch of different things the commission got to. But what ultimately really matters is what stuff gets put into law and put into practice. And so the legislation ends up really mattering more than the report. Right. So, so I mean, this seems to be heading in a similar direction, and there's still some uncertainty at this point. Um, there's a, there's going to be a lot in the Kerwin Commission's report that speaks to their goals for what the next 10 years could look like for Maryland's funding of education. And it's really a transformative shift, right? I mean, right. this is probably the most significant shift in Maryland education policy that we've ever seen. Speaking of funding, that is also uncertain. And we know the Kerwin Commission is going to ask for $200 million that was set aside last year for the commission's recommendations. They're going to ask for $125 million that was a result of the education lockbox initiative that was on the ballot, passed with flying colors. 
And then they're going to ask for $750 million, Michael, to be set aside this year for next year as sort of a down payment. So, th- so these are all just the short-term considerations. And this is th- the numbers here get tricky and elusive. So it's probably helpful to think in terms of what is the lift this year right, right. versus what would be the longer-term commitment. And we've got to see what the bill says. But at least what the commission has in mind is just what you say. You, you were saying – um, there's there's a couple pockets of money that are nominally available, right? Mm-hmm. So we got 200 million line in the sock for future education that was done last year that theoretically could be, could be spent this year. The, the state has to spend 125 more than its vanilla formulas because of the the casino lockbox right, right. Uh, constitutional amendment. So something's got to give. But uh, the the tricky thing is in Maryland budgeting for current year spending. It's got to be in at the governor's request. Right. And the $200 million that's been set aside, the governor did not put that in the budget. It's still there. It's still waiting for the final recommendations of the Kerwin Commission. But that sort of throws a wrinkle into their ask, at least for this year. It's possible the governor could submit a supplemental budget and put that $200 million in for this year. And we know the $125 million that the Kerwin Commission would like to see this year for its recommendations. There are some questions there, too, right, because – The governor's budget has some of that money uh, going to school construction. It does have some for the Kerwin Commission, but definitely some uncertainty. And we don't really know what the General Assembly will do about the $750 million ask. So there's a couple of ways. And the the Kerwin Commission members had some conversation about this $750 million idea. Mm -hmm. So the the easiest way to think of that is – they want action in this legislative session that will more or less commit the state to do its share for the first year of the big phase in right. in 2021. Right. So there's two ways you could do that. One is you could actually find $750 million in cash this year. And you know, forgive me, I keep saying this, but you put it in a sock again, mm-hmm. like they did with two hundred last year. You mm-hmm. could take a bigger sock and and put seven fifty in it, so there's actually cash available next year. Right? Yeah, you know, that that that's already on hand. But that but the governor wouldn't have to put that in the budget then next year. Is that right? Even if well, they set it aside, well, they, well, they can. They, they can do that. So the difference between this year right. and next year is profound. In FY20, that's the budget we're trying to sort out right now, the governor has to be the actor to put something in the budget. The the legislature can't do that. The legislature can instruct the governor by law to put something in next year's budget or in every future year's budget. Right, so so they'd have to mandate that money be appropriated next year and in further years. So they could do that. They Mm -hmm. could mandate that. They could find the cash this year and they could mandate that the governor take it out of whatever special fund they tuck it away in Mm -hmm. and then – it's there for next year. And if you look at the multi-year phase-in costs of the Kerwin recommendations for 2021, their number is right around a billion and a half. Uh, it's a pretty rapid jump up to $3 billion or so, but the first year gets you to about a billion and a half. And if the rule of thumb here is maybe this will be something like a 50-50 split between state resources and county resources, the 750 number is no accident. Right. So the thing is, because the legislature can oblige the governor to put something in the budget, they don't actually have to put money in the sock this year to tell the governor you must do 750 extra next year in some fashion. Very true. So they, they've got options before them. Uh, among them, 
Yeah, um, among them, uh, just tell the governor next year to find seven fifty of something. Mm-hmm. They could tell the governor exactly what to spend seven fifty on next year and mandate that X dollars goes to pre-K services and X dollars goes to um, you know, limited English proficiency or you know, the, right, right. There's all these different things that are part of their recommendations. They could spell it out. The legislature can do that, mm-hmm. um, or they can actually find the money and do either of those, and but have it be with a targeted resource. Now we know the governor Michael does not like spending mandates, and because that two hundred million is not in the budget this year, and it would require the governor to submit a supplemental budget. Maybe there would be a deal worked out here. Maybe it's possible to where they can come up with some deal with the governor and the General Assembly where that $200 million would come this year and maybe not as much of a fiscal mandate for next year. I mean, that would be that would be the path forward that would make the most sense here. Right. I, I mean, and we've seen this in the past. Uh, I mean, understandably, um, this has been, shall we say, a smoother process when the the you know, when the governor's seat is held by the same party as mm-hmm. the le- legislative leadership, right? And that's been the majority of the re- years in the recent past, but it's not the case right now. So, to the extent this has a partisan spin or a who gets the credit spin, that's a little complicated. Mm-hmm. But if if the commission and the legislative leadership and the administration want to take a first meaningful meaningful step this year, you would expect this to be a negotiation and then something like the legislature does some things with the budget. They clear a little space here and there, but they're simultaneously working with uh, Secretary Brinkley, who's mm-hmm. been a member of the commission, right, right. but also with the governor and his his you know, senior staff trying to iron out, okay, how could we roll out a supplemental budget that has some extra spending plans for the current, you know, for the fiscal year we're trying to hammer out right now? So bottom line, what matters here is what we see in legislation this year. That's going to be, that's going to be everything. I think that's, I think that's everything both short and long term. I mean, we, when, when we did a podcast right after the letter that sort of you push things back. It dropped the bomb I, I, on the commission. Yeah, so right? I think I think I think there were a lot of people, us included, had the sense that this is more or less pushing back the whole commission recommendation by a year. Right now, to see what they've adopted, they've basically adopted the whole framework. They, mm-hmm. I mean, all the the, the commission is going to recommend all these policy changes that are going to cost close to four billion dollars a year. They're calling it a ten-year phase in. It's really almost all there in about four years. Right, right. So, but but you know, regardless, their 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 recommendation stuff that w- they were recommending things that would commit Maryland to all these new sort of lofty goals and big tickets. Mm-hmm. And what's left to be decided is really just how do you come up with the funds. It, how much of this is a state responsibility versus a local responsibility? And then on the local side, how much do you mix up the way of what we ask from each jurisdiction versus give back to them? Right. And we know that they will convene a small work group in the interim to to look at these formulas and figure out those state and local cost shares and whatnot. So that is still to come, but we still do anticipate legislation this year. Yeah, so 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 that's a that's a bigger, more substantive lift for the General Assembly this session. Then I th- then I think we were guessing even at, at Mako's winter conference, yes, yes. we sort of felt like maybe they would do a basic policy framework this year, have a little bit of one year money, but the real decision about whether the state would go ahead with the four billion dollar plan mm-hmm. was going to be held off for a year. Now it looks like the ask is. 
agree to the plan and then we'll start writing the details of, you know, then we'll build the scaffolding to hold it up. And, you know, that's got to be hard, especially for a first year legislator to ask them to agree to that. And, you know, like, well, here you go, just vote yes. And then we will come up with the plan and we'll share it with you later. That, that's a tough lift. Um, it, it, it is. And the, the other thing is, in the event that they commit to a multi-year plan, you can put it in law, mm-hmm. but if the money's not there, I mean, the governor will presumably end up doing something that says, okay, I'm technically going to comply with the law, I'll fund all these things, and then here's my budget reconciliation bill that rides along with the budget that says, notwithstanding what you made me put in the budget, right. I'm pulling it out because the cash isn't there. If Unless you go raise the sales tax and you know double this tax and extend this and expand that and so forth, there's not going to be an extra billion and a half or two billion dollars a year to pick up you know to pick up the state share of all this. Right. So uh, this 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 potentially makes the 2019 session a bigger deal than we were guessing a month ago, but maybe not quite as huge of a deal as we thought six months ago. And things are ever changing, so stay tuned. For sure. We'll certainly keep you updated. Let's talk about more education here, and we're talking about local asks. We're starting to see some localities, some counties in, in, in Baltimore City asking for education money. And Baltimore City, Michael, is asking for past due education money. And this is all a result of recession cuts that led to formula reductions. Let's talk right. about that a little bit and, and what the argument is here. It's, it's, it's a separable argument from the notion that the Kerwin Commission has a vision for how Maryland could take us to the next level. Right. So, so I think what Baltimore City and a number of local leaders are saying, this is not unique to the city, but um, I think they've got a big stake in this. Basically, what happened uh, before there was the Kerwin Commission, there was the Thornton Commission. And right. we, have, we have started to call for the last decade and a half or so, we call state funding for education Thornton funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a commission that said the state wasn't doing enough, needed to ramp up its effort. That took a m- multiple year phase in and that was wrapping up at the end of the last decade. But we were just starting to plateau on funds as the national and, and Maryland economy were bottoming out. Right, right. So. So what ended up happening here was the state law was saying, now that we've reached full funding, we should have a cost of living adjustment that tracks along with the you know the economy and the consumer price index sure, and so forth sure. to maintain the buying power that we built the formula on. Mm-hmm. But with the state general fund in grave distress, and we're making cuts left and right, and things like local road money's getting right, right. you know getting crushed and right. these sorts of things, a lot of things got cut back, and school funding. Um, ended up getting ratcheted down here and there for several years in a row when times were super tough. Mm-hmm. It, it mostly came in the forms of your cost of living adjustment. Instead of being allowed to go up to 4%, we'll do 3 mm-hmm. Or instead of 2%, we'll do 08 or things like that. So tweaking formulas here and there. <clears throat> Which doesn't sound like a whole lot. You lose a percent here and a percent there. Mm-hmm. But when you do that in 2009 and then it carries over into 10, you make the same decision in 11. And we, we sort of limp out of this recession. Maryland's economy didn't exactly boom after after 2009. Right, so right. we had a couple of sluggish years afterwards too. So for several years in a row, we didn't fulfill the absolute letter of the Thornton Commission, um, the commission's recommendations and the legislation that passed. So if you run a tape on that, uh, and Baltimore City apparently has, mm-hmm. the collective effect of all those you know nicks and dents that cut back funding a little bit here and a little bit there – 
after a decade, it adds up into the hundreds of millions. Absolutely, it does. Hundreds of millions. And again, Baltimore City is not the only jurisdiction affected, but we've certainly, they're the first one that we've heard ask for this past due education funding. So this is just another element to this this issue in 2019. And I think it puts a little bit more pressure on the General Assembly right. to, to deal with this. Well, I mean, one thing it, it, it can't help but underscore is that school commitments are a really big deal practically and politically. So, yes. um, I mean, Baltimore City is an exception. The city elections are on a different cycle. Mm-hmm. But jurisdictions across the state are looking at their school commitment. It's the biggest driver of every county budget. The typical county puts more into education than everything else put together. Right. So so it's no surprise that as you have you know a wave of county elected officials and waves of delegates and senators, education's on virtually every everybody's mind. So that's why we spend so much time talking about it. We don't run the schools. We fund the schools at the county level. But um, so we, you know, this is, this is a substantive thing. And you see a variation on the same theme from a big nearby jurisdiction in Baltimore County. Right. Baltimore County, a little bit different issue here, but their pressure point is with school construction. And Michael, this is all about forward funding and let's talk about that. But Baltimore County is asking the state for $100 million in school construction money. And and as I said, you know, this is all about forward funding. We know Baltimore County has a lot of aging schools. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of needs. So let's talk about what happened there and why this ask is coming in. Yeah, I mean, Baltimore County was a big, booming jurisdiction in the 50s and then in the 60s, 70s, 80s mm-hmm. for a, you know, a variety of reasons. But demographically, this was happening in lots of urban areas, the sort of, you know, the suburban areas were the big growth belt. Right. And so no surprise, we now have the zone outside of the city of Baltimore, like Baltimore County, is flooded that with schools that were built in the 1960s. Right. Well, now it's 50 to 60 years later. Those schools are designed for long lives. But at some point, you really need to invest in those, those schools. Whether it's replacing them or big renovations, it's more than just let's do a new boiler, let's do a new roof. Right. So county executive Volshevsky says they need a hundred million, and and they four hundred million a year, a year right? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah this is, so it's not like a one shot yeah. deal is going to take care of that. But I mean, put that in context. The governor, Governor Hogan. Um, was really proud to say we're reaching a new high watermark, 438 for all you know, for statewide projects in this year's budget. Mm-hmm. That's all school construction across the state. Baltimore County says we've got the receipts and we need a hundred. We need we need a quarter of that. Yeah. So you say we have the receipts, and this is because the county at some point, you know, they said, look, we need to build these schools. We can't wait on the state, so we'll go ahead and put the money up, and then the state will eventually pay it back. They did that, and right. now they're asking for the state to pay them back. Right. So that's, I mean, that's that's part of how school construction has has had to work over the last ten or fifteen years. When the state has only been able to come up with, you know, we can do two fifty a year, we'll do two seventy five or whatever. If the state has a limited amount of commitment, and the typical plan for building schools is you go through state approval, and when they sign off on a project, then state money starts flowing. Baltimore County is not the only jurisdiction who's basically said we can't. The kids are here, and the growth is coming. We don't have enough space. These are unlearnable spaces. So we've got to get this done. We'll build the school now, mm-hmm. and then it, it'll be a matter of time. But eventually, the state will get us onto the approved list. But we can't wait three years to move from a C to a B to an A right. to a yes. We need now. Yeah, and and you can't fault them for doing that. 
it just puts a jurisdiction in a tough spot where now you're paying you know you're paying debt on all these bonds mm-hmm. and you front loaded the whole thing mm-hmm. so um that's i mean it's a tricky spot they've put themselves into but i mean this is a time honored tradition though i mean new county executive comes to annapolis and meets with the legislative leadership from that big delegation mm-hmm. and i mean you know you can just imagine he's like okay we've got like a 40 page packet but like I just want you to flip all the way back to the school construction page because that's where we're going to start. That's our big issue. Yes, yes, and that's what happened. And certainly, you know, Johnny Olszewski is coming in and saying, look, I I just need to lay this out for you. This is the situation we're in, and this is what we need, and and I I want to put it all on the table here and let you know what we're dealing with. Yeah, And and they've been doing a listening tour around the county. That's a – I mean that's a a, a sort of a time-honored thing to do when you walk into a new fiscal circumstance – Talk to the public about what, what's what's going on and what you're up against. Right. Yeah. So lots going on with education funding. We'll certainly keep you updated. We have Kerwin outstanding. We'll see what happens there with legislation. And we're starting to see jurisdictions coming in with their requests. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, Michael, we have the mother load of fiscal information from the Department of Legislative Services. I know like you, you and I were very excited. <laughs> we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about local governments and counties calling on the feds to end the government shutdown and we'll let you know what we're looking forward to in the near future and perhaps the long-term future all that and more after the break Back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canelli back here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, the Department of Legislative Services gave their fiscal briefing. This is always a fascinating briefing, and there's just a treasure trove of information here. Right. It's always a big show. Monday afternoon in the joint hearing room, all the cameras are on and all the members are huddled around. You've got a lot of room in there for legislators and so forth. Right. And, and all the you know, all the all the nerds in the audience, people like us sitting there all hot and heavy, getting what they're that you want that hot off the off the yes. copier, you know, version of the document and stuff. So super exciting. It's pretty exciting. And so as as it turns out, um this year I, like maybe a whimper rather than a bang. I, I, I don't mean that as criticism, but it's just it's just a sign of the the time in moment where we are. Right. We, so we talked about this a little bit back when we were discussing the spending affordability committee. Mm-hmm. They're the ones sort of looking at the underworking mm-hmm. of the of the economy and what you know what we think is happening, and, and their forecast was this year looks pretty steady. Right. The governor's budget proposal uh, fit that theme, and basically is a you know a no frills. It's it's not a it's not a, an aggressive super spending budget, but it's basically stay the course. Yeah, and we've seen legislative leaders in the general assembly say it's it's a pretty good budget, right? right. So so you know it looks like the. The, the battle lines over this year's budget will be a little softer, a little smoother. Um, 
I mean, they've got some work to do. There's 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 one issue that has, is some importance that sounds a little bit technical, but if you're trying to follow this stuff, what do they have to do? Uh, the, the General Assembly feels strongly that they want to follow the recommendations of the Spending Affordability Committee. Right. And that means they want to have a structurally balanced budget for this year, ongoing revenues and ongoing expenses matching up. Mm-hmm. As is often the case, there are some differences of opinion over what things are ongoing when you make a cut or when you have a revenue source. And to the extent that there are a few differences like that, it looks like the legislative analysts score things $62 million differently than the administration does. The legislature will go with their own staff's reckoning here, which means they've got to find $62 million of structural adjustments in this year's budget. Now, the proposed budget, general fund budget, is like $19.5 billion. Right. And $62 million sounds like a lot of money, and it is. I mean, if, you know. To us. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that would get us to Guam in, sure. in a oh, real hurry, gosh, right? On a big yacht. <laughs> So, but okay, that's. I mean, until the until the big podcast sponsors start coming through, um, we'll we'll have to set that aside. Yeah, but one day, but sixty two million in the context of a state budget debate um, is not a dramatic number to have as a target. Yeah, and and in in a year where, like you said, it's not going to be particularly a, a difficult budget year, it seems you know that there's not a lot of talk about that being a huge issue. It still is a problem. They're still going to have to fix it, but. Could be a lot worse. And one of the reasons why this is easy, Michael, you mentioned earlier, there's no BRFA, right? Uh, At least now there's not a reconciliation bill. So that's where uh, traditionally we see a lot of formulas get changed and maybe cuts get made. That stuff's not happening. And for counties, everything is funded as it should be in statute, right? We didn't see any cuts, at least not yet. We haven't seen any formula changes. So the budget, from that perspective, looks really good for counties. Right. So so when we say budget in Annapolis, we mean one bill, and it's simply a one-year spending plan. Right. So it's not it, – that doesn't mean that when we say the budget looks relatively smooth, that basically means just the fiscal 2020 operating budget spending plan for one year, not necessarily the multi-year situation we're in. Right. And that's where we see static already. Right. And some of it is just vanilla. If you just do some really vanilla projections of what's going to happen on the spending side, Mm -hmm. if you just continue programs basically on the path they're on and you assume that the number of people who draw entitlement programs like Medicaid go in a certain direction that is a reasonable forecast and that your various programs grow at modest levels that are reasonable, and then you look at revenues, they're going to move along with the economy. If you make all those vanilla forecasts, we're already in trouble to the tune of maybe a billion two as soon as next year. Right. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. So yes, while this year looks good, everybody knows that there are clouds gathering over right. Annapolis in terms of the, of the fiscal picture. Right. So, and that's, you, and that's before you even incorporate is, you know, economic uncertainty. Right. I mean, you know, we were talking about the, you know, the economist from, from Moody's who was in talking to Annapolis leaders last week and basically saying, you know, if you, if you walk around a cocktail party on wall street, where all the, all the economists hang out and so forth, and you pass a hat saying, when do you think the next recession is going to start? I mean, the midpoint answer is like next summer. Right, mid-2020. <laughs> right. So, I mean, not, not that people chart these things out to the week or anything like that, but 
Some people say it's going to happen in the next 12 months. Some people say it's going to be the next 24. Some might say it'll be the next 36. But a lot of people feel like we're toward the end of a business cycle. There's some signs of slowing. There's some signs of pessimism in, you know, in, in yield curves and other things like that. So there are indications that we're not far from that. Right. And one of the other components, we've talked about it a bit previously on the podcast, is this federal government shutdown. Michael, we are in day 33. Yeah, 33, 34 now. 33, 34 days into this, and now it's becoming more and more of an issue. And in fact, in Maryland, we know that revenues are being written down. So projections for state revenues, what we're going to bring in, they're being written down by a million and a half dollars per day. A day. That adds up, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And while people say, well, you know, a lot of these folks are going to get repaid once the government opens. That's true. But we know that all the contractors might not get repaid. We know that that sales tax revenue may never be, right, yeah. uh, may never come to fruition. So issues there, and the longer this goes on, the worse it gets. And certainly we've heard legislators talking about, they are concerned about these revenue write downs. And the longer this goes on, the more uncertainty this adds to the fiscal picture. Sure. So that's, that's certainly the case. Um, it, it's another factor in what was already a pretty tricky circumstance. Right. And so you know, we opened this conversation uh, on this podcast talking about school issues and we still have swirling in the air politically the idea of making a commitment to huge new investments in education that would require on the other side of the ledger huge new revenues to fund them mm-hmm. and and whatever combination of state resources and county resources would be required to do that that's still that's sort of next year's question we guess but but, but still it ends up being by and large the the same taxpayers mm-hmm. uh, so so you know that's sitting out there as a threat to what might otherwise be a relatively stable fiscal situation. These external threats, the national economy that might, you know, might be looking at a downswing, which means, you know, suddenly what was a near balance is in trouble. Right. That's, that's its own uncertainty. And, you know, an, an unforced error, this region could easily be in recession for the first quarter of 2019. If this shutdown goes on for six or eight more weeks, oh, yeah. it's almost impossible to imagine that the economic growth in the mid-Atlantic region, that Maryland and Virginia in particular, uh, we will probably have a negative quarter. For sure, for sure. And let's talk about one more interesting piece of the budget, Michael. And there is some tension with transportation funding. And I want to talk about that a little bit. We won't go too deep, but talk about how the the gas tax weakness has really thrown a wrench into this transportation funding issue. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, amidst this fiscal debate, and actually the Department of Transportation has been in for a couple of hearings and presentations before the legislature this week, um, if, if that's a side of the fiscal situation that's sometimes underreported, um, there's a little more static there right now than there is in the general fund. Right. And basically – Transportation is different in a lot of ways because a lot of transportation is project driven. Mm -hmm. So you can, in good times, you can just work down a list of intended projects a little more rapidly than you thought. If revenues are coming in really strong, hey, we were planning to do these 18 projects, but we did 22 because we just had more cash and Mm -hmm. we're getting stuff done fast. Okay, that's fine. Um, We're in the opposite circumstance right now. And part of that is – the, what what is good news to Maryland consumers? Gas prices are relatively low. I think the last time I paid about two ten mm-hmm. for, you know, right for, for regular. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, and and that's 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 uh, 
comforting to to you know those of us who are drivers and so forth. So sure. so that makes it a little easier on your pocketbook, mm-hmm. but. It's bad news from the perspective of the transportation trust fund. And and maybe the projections of what the trust fund would be, right? And, right. right. So what, the, what this comes down to is back in 2012, I think it was, when, when Maryland adjusted its gas tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that adjustment, it was like two or three moving parts. It was a little complicated to piece it all together. But one component was – it's strange that we have an excise tax on gasoline, but we don't subject it to the sales tax. And a lot of states have it as a sales tax commodity. Right now, it, w- it would be weird to have you know have your gas listed out at you know at the pump as three dollars, and you really end up paying three eighteen. Nobody would like that. That doesn't make much sense. Mm-hmm. So the way you do it is you basically assess the the wholesale price of gas at a point in time and you say okay the the excise tax includes an implied sales tax component on the wholesale price so the thing is when we cooked up all those numbers Maryland cooked up all the numbers to do that and and we've been building you know, project lists based on revenues coming in. The gas tax is a big part of revenues coming into the transportation trust fund. Right. So that's that's the, really the big engine behind getting stuff done. And when the price of gas comes down, that means a component of the tax per gallon comes down. So even though people are driving more or less the same amount, they're using more or less the same amount of gas, revenues are actually down a bit, even in an economy where the cost of building, you know, cost of repairing a mile of road or, you know, the other the other sort of capital construction and maintenance costs in the transportation trust fund, those things are going up. Right. So so we're a little upside down fiscally there. Uh, what the governor is proposing to do is sort of patch that over with some money from the general fund. General fund's in decent shape, has little cash to give, and the legislative analysts have sort of singled that out as this is something you ought to take a look at. Is this the way we want to run transportation? It's supposed to be self-funding. In good times, we don't go to the transportation trust fund and take money out. Right. So right. in lean times, should we should we be putting in cash or should we be, you know, instead of doing 18 projects, we'll do 16, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, of course, they, they want to do all the projects. But, yes, the General Assembly does have some consternation about going into the transportation trust fund to fund these projects. That is an issue that they'll have to deal with here. But – I also would think that this federal shutdown, people may be driving less here in the state anyway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's possible, right? So right. maybe maybe these projections could even dip lower. I don't know how much lower, but it certainly could have an effect. Right. I, I think, I mean, there are arrows pushing in multiple directions here, and I'm sure there are there are economists out there who are doing great trying to come up with this multivariable analysis of what's happening with driver behavior and alternatives and things like that. And are people buying different types of car cars because right now gas is two ten instead of two ninety? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's always if that happens for a few months, people suddenly start buying bigger cars. So it's, multiple it's, factors, right? Yeah. Right? yeah, a lot of stuff happening there. So we can't untangle all that, right. but we know in the moment there's a little softness on the transportation side and what the state should do about it that will be one of the interesting like small scale fiscal issues to bubble up this session yeah so keep an eye out for that we'll keep you posted there and michael speaking of the government shutdown yesterday we had a number of our county executives 
call on the federal call on the feds to end the shutdown. And, you know, this is not a partisan issue. We saw D's and R's, big counties, smaller counties there together in unison asking the feds to fix this, to open up the government. Uh, I mean, obviously, there are there are deep partisan elements in what's happening with the federal government and what should be funded and what you know what the problems are and that kind of stuff you can't resolve at this level but i think you know, i mean Barry Glassman Mako's president he's the Hartford County executive that's sort of a middle-sized jurisdiction mm-hmm. a lot of rural areas but they got some downtown but they've got military presence i mean they they're they're feeling this pinch locally sure. just like everybody else is and one of the things he said multiple times that our conference and has been saying in public is you know local government doesn't doesn't shut down can't shut we down. don't that's not what we do the right. things we do are day to day and so important that we've got to take that 911 call right? right so i mean we're different on that front um it gives i think local officials a certain station to raise their voice and say okay enough is enough sort this out however you have to and let's get people back to work i mean the the best measure i've heard is there's a lot of federal employees who just went without their second paycheck That's we're, up, we're up into the 30 some days and if most people are on a two week pay cycle you now are two pay cycles in a row a lot of people still going to work mm-hmm. and still being obliged to do their job and that's important right because yeah. they, it, that doesn't mean that you still don't have childcare expenses or you still have to put gas in the car right right you're going to work you're being asked to go but these expenses are starting to add up now and of course it's all having an effect on our residents and on county governments who are providing as many services as they can to supplement. But, you know, this is really, it's getting to the point now where something has to get. And we've we've never... We've never challenged these boundaries before, right? right? We've, we're at the at the conversation yesterday. I mean, I think Anne Arundel County Executive Stuart Pittman was talking about we're trying to best understand what we should advise county residents who work for federal agencies about getting food stamps. Mm. And like that's never been, you know, if you're if you work for a state agency and you're in the GS scale somewhere in the mid range and you're making seventy grand, you're not a person who's been thinking about food stamps. Right. But you after don't know anything two, about but them. after two missed paychecks, you need to start learning about eligibility so you can just make ends meet. And there's some places that are going to do a spaghetti dinner on Tuesday night, and you're probably going. But at some point, this turns into people who are in a really tough situation. Right. So obviously, all of of Maryland's local officials, I I think, would be in unison in saying, open up the federal government. Let's get Get back to work. What do we see? I mean, again, I think Congress just voted today on two bills. They voted them down to open up the government. I mean, what is this? What do we see? I mean, I, we, who knows, right. we don't know, yeah, but we, yeah. the longer this goes, I mean, we've talked about it. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Right. So, I mean, now it appears the State of the Union address is going to be indefinitely delayed. Right. I mean, there's all sorts of games of chicken going on in, 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 at the federal level. Um, there's a lot of employees and families and services that are that are being Myths. So we got to hope for the best one way or another. Um, our local economy, and we've got a lot of friends and neighbors who are affected by this. And you know, I mean, some of this is you know being candid. Maryland is right here, cuddled up next to the next to the federal government complex. It's a big part of we our have economy. A really, you have know, a really big federal footprint here. So this is probably a bigger deal here than it might be in Nebraska. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure our friends in Guam have our back too. Yes, I'm sure they do. We're all in this together. And speaking of all in this together, Michael, we'll. Try transition here. 
Yesterday at MAKO, we had our first legislative committee meeting. It's mm-hmm. a big deal. All 24 counties were here. They were all heard from. It was sort of right. an orientation for some of the new folks. Talk about that yeah. and the significance of that room being full upstairs and right. all 24 jurisdictions being in the room. Yeah, we were jam-packed. Um, and we, I mean, we've got a pretty good-sized space for a small shop. And this is an old sporting yeah, goods store that's converted into, a, into an office. But that's a nice-sized space. And we had the main table and all the back seats. And we were bringing in extra chairs and so forth because we had every every single jurisdiction had multiple people here. We had lots of newly elected officials who wanted to come down even if they weren't – even if they're not the voting representative for their county. They wanted to come down for one of the meetings and get a feel for what MAKO does in Annapolis and the, the sort of process. So that's heartening for us because we put an awful lot of time into this and – One of the things that we heard time and time again at that first meeting is it's the investment of time from our elected officials. That legislative committee, they meet every week. They spend the time to go through bill by bill, think through how this affects their functions at the county level and what do we need to do to do our best. Mm -hmm. So because it comes from them, it's not just you and I and our colleagues sitting around spitballing which bills we like and which ones we don't. It's the elected officials who call those shots. That gives us credibility and effectiveness. So um, it's great right after an election with a lot of, you know, we got jurisdictions who have complete turnover among their elected officials, seeing these folks, you know, butts in seats and bells on and taking notes on everything we're talking about was, it's really heartening for us professionally. Mm-hmm. And it speaks well for the session we've got ahead. So you, you started by sessions in full swing. Yesterday really made me feel like it because this place was jumping. Yeah, you know what, that really was. That's, that's when I felt like session was really starting to happen. I mean, we, we got bills piling up. I mean, it started off a bit slow, but now these synopses are coming in and the, the stacks on our desks are just growing and growing and growing. So right. things are really in full swing. My, my desk in particular. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, looking around, it, it's, but you know, it's always kind of stacked. Mine too, but we won't go there. So speaking of session, Michael, we know there's a lot going on now. Let's talk about some stuff that we're looking forward to. I know what I'm looking forward to is that I'm going to get my popcorn ready because oh, the, yeah, Maryland, that's it, right? the Maryland General Assembly is going to start live streaming the House in 2020, the Senate in 2021. Right. This has been a, a, a long-standing request from residents, constituents, and members of the media. Right. It's really hard if you don't listen to them on the floor every day to know who's talking because mm-hmm. there is a rule that you can't use a delegate or a senator's name. So. It's difficult to, to know who it is. But now if we have the video, I mean, for us, it's great. But maybe they haven't yeah. done this for a reason, Michael. I mean, <laughs> do, you, do you want to play devil's advocate a little bit here? I mean, I guess you can You can a little – you can see the other side from where you stand. And I mean, I mean, we care about this stuff. We, we probably will have 40 or 50 different times there will be something on the floor or the House or the Senate this session that really affects the counties. We really care about an amendment or we really want to – Hear, hear what's being said. We want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, of being able to dial up and see some live video of what's happening during those debates, I like it professionally. It's good for us. And I think, you know, the arguments for transparency and accountability are good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, the other side of this is with the cameras on all the time. I mean, look what happens in Congress, right? We have, we know there's coverage in Congress and, and now there's just like, there's all these hours dedicated to empty speeches and vacuous presentations that are 
that are really just for the camera and not advancing a debate right. that's of any substance. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to the extent that the cameras are going to always be rolling, I mean, it's just a matter of time until somebody's picking his nose mm-hmm. or somebody, you know, spills water on his pants. Someone has or, their feet up on the desk. Right, exactly. I mean, I mean, these things happen. These are human beings, mm-hmm. and you don't have to be a bad person to have a bad minute or no. a bad hair day, right? No, I mean, right. No, <laughs> so, no. so, I mean, this stuff happens all the time. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to overplay that sort of thing, but – I mean, sometimes the, the, when you have so much transparency, uh, you end up with just like a kabuki theater that it ends up being a show. Yes, yes. And I, I'd hate to see what are sometimes really personal, passionate, substantive debates become so scripted and boring for fear of someone wandering too far off the script and saying the wrong thing while the camera's rolling. Now we got the picture or we've got, you know, we've got the embarrassing moment captured and now it goes viral. I mean, you know, so, I mean, I'm probably overthinking this. I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm not, I'm not going to take the side of being against it, but I can sort of, I can see us, you know, 10 years from now when everybody assumes everything's on tape mm-hmm. and here we are. And here's the, you know, Annapolis bloopers.com website. Who's got all these pictures of people in embarrassing moments and stuff. Yes. Sort of feeling like, I'm not sure we accomplished everything we wanted here. Yeah, maybe we know a little too much, right? right? But, 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 but yeah, for transparency, it's good. It's for it's the good. best, right? It's yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a good direction to head. Yeah. Okay. What, so Michael, but now, you know, you know, as you tried to torpedo what I'm looking forward to here, <laughs> just a little bit. So anything you're looking forward to coming up here, you're busy. We're all busy, but anything right. specific? Oh, it's, 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 it's churning now. Um, I, I get a chance to, to go talk with the government finance officers uh, at the end of this week. It's, it's, it's interesting. They do a, a winter conference that happens to be right at the beginning of the legislative session and then a spring conference, which is right after the session wraps up. Right. Typically, they ask for a MAKO presence at each of those. Mm-hmm. And so it is interesting to me how these are bookend presentations. And sometimes the things that I predict in January as being hot topics, we come back in April and say, by the way, forget all that stuff we talked about in January because here's what really happened right. and really right. blew up. And let's walk through that other stuff. But right. – um, um, podcast listeners will hear a lot of uh, a lot of familiar stuff with GFOA on Friday. Excellent, excellent news. <laughs> so we have some stuff to look forward to. We're running around. Things are in full swing. We will be back next week. We'll keep you updated on everything we talked about today. And I am sure there'll be more than a few new issues that will pop up as the General Assembly continues to meet. They rarely let us down. Rarely. Okay, so for Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale signing off. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>